0: Welcome to another edition of the Always Be Testing podcast with your host, Ty DeGrange. Get a guided tour of the world of growth, performance marketing, customer acquisition, paid media, and affiliate marketing. We talk with industry experts and discuss experiments and their learnings in growth, marketing, and life. Time to nerd out, check your biases at the door, and have some fun talking about data-driven growth and lessons learned.
1: Hello, welcome to another episode of the Always Be Testing podcast. I'm your host, Ty DeGrange, and with me today is Brooke Schaff. (laughs) We're hosted by Capital Factory here in Austin, Texas, and uh, they've been so gracious to give us their green screen for the day, so it's going to be fun. I'm excited to have Brooke on today. He has an amazing affiliate veteran background, ready to dive in. He's got started off in Zappos, he got into building his own agency, which he built up and grew and sold to Acquisition, which is amazing. And now he's building FMTC. It's pretty awesome.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
1: Maybe give us a little bit more color on the background and 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 kind of your your story. For those of you who don't know, I know a lot of the affiliate folks are very familiar with you, but tell us a little bit more.
0: Yeah, so I have been in affiliate management, sorry, affiliate marketing, I should say, for pretty much my whole career. Right out of college, I I jumped into a young Sappos.com, worked in house at a couple of um, other companies, one retail, one lead, stumbled into agency life. I had the agency for many years, sold it six years ago because I didn't want to have to compete with Ty (laughs) after he got in. And then along the way, we started FMTC, which is a deal and product distribution platform in the affiliate space. We're a B2B company. So we power enterprise sites, uh, enterprise affiliate sites in particular, coupon deal, rewards, some commerce content guys. And we've had FMTC since the uh, very end of 2007. That's awesome. So we're full steam ahead to build the tools to help everybody make more money in the affiliate space.
1: I love it. Servicing so many is pretty exciting. And there's not a lot of folks that are doing really what you do at FMTC. Is that right? Yeah, there's
0: a, very, there's a pretty small pool of, I think you could call them tech vendors in the affiliate space, and fewer of them are independent. So you also had companies like Trackonomics and Affluent, which of course were both acquired by Impact.com. Yep. You've got a lot of compliance guys. They're kind of, you know, they float around the outskirts of the retail space where we play because they're mostly uh, with the lead stuff. Yeah. And, and then you've got some other players like um, the conversion optimization guys, mm-hmm. you know, upsell It, Revlifter, Unicodo, Intently, and um, they sort of operate more as kind of kind of like affiliates.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and then some other players floating around like Philomate. Uh, they they're sort of a competitor of Trachonomics, other reporting guys out there. But there's just really not that many, you know, it's, it's probably numbered in the low dozens as opposed yeah. to hundreds of thousands of affiliates, hundreds yeah. of agencies. Yep dozens of networks, uh, but the networks, of course, are much bigger companies.
1: Getting closer to the zero-to-one strategy, which I think is a smart one. Zero-to-one strategy? Good on you. Yeah, the, the book by Peter Thiel. It's a good, good one if you haven't read it. No, I haven't read it. Okay. What does he say? Basically, it's uh, if you can kind of create a pseudo-monopoly and have an innovation and be one of one or one of two, one of three, a lot better than being one of a hundred. A little bit more difficult inherently, regardless of how... Great you are at all the things. It's a kind of a cool uh, lesson, hard to pull off, but when if you can build up that moat and you, you know, FMTC in some ways is kind of trying to do that a little bit, which I think is cool. There's not a lot of, not a lot of competitors.
0: Yeah, we are in a special market position. If you want to provide good quality coupon content using your own relationships, yep. you're either using FMTC in practical terms, or yep. you're doing it yourself. So you don't have to provide good quality content. Some sites make money going that route Um, and you can do it yourself. But if you do it yourself, your costs are going to be higher than the fees that we charge and the quality might not be as good. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. Saving a ton of time. What is that? Is that like required developers? I'm curious to know what the do it yourself structure looks like at a high level, just, just to kind of educate people at home at a, at the broad strokes.
0: Yeah, that might be a good segue to AI, which we were talking about earlier today. Yep. You know, so right now it's it's a pretty messy process because we integrate with about twenty thousand merchants, and the merchants, it should also be mentioned, are kind of going online and offline. At least the smaller mm-hmm. ones are, mm-hmm. and this is across all the major players. Uh, the players being the tracking platforms in the English speaking markets around the world. So that's Canada, United States, United Kingdom, and Australia at least a couple dozen data sources with the tracking um, platforms, many of which have like more than one API you're tapping into stuff just breaks mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And well, what that means is that you need somebody to repair that. So that's technical resources right there. When it breaks, you got to um, sounds expensive. Yeah. Uh, obviously got to fix it. But then the bigger issue is you have to deal with all the data that's coming into the system, which is, you know, for us thousands of new deals every day. So a deal is broadly defined as a coupon, a category sale, buy one, get one, give with purchase, anything in that direction. And for us, it's um, very important to get that data out as quickly as possible and as high quality as possible to our subscribers, and then they get it out to their, uh, to their end users, who are the customers who click through on the affiliate sites, make the purchase on the retailer, and then the affiliate site gets the commission. And so a big part of the infrastructure is making sure you have the correct links, and then the correct links are married to the correct content, and that's what FMTC does. So it requires, you know, we have dozens of people doing this all day, every day. And then we also have a, a full developer team. And then to keep up the relationships, we have our, our business development team for the network integrations, the merchant integrations, and so on. That's awesome. So it's, Pretty yeah, cool. it's, it's it's a legit operation.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And Brooke has been, you know, you've been such a uh, senior sound expert voice in the affiliate space from, building your career, managing Zappos to building out an agency, seeing all the players and working with some great enterprise brands. Now building out FMTC, you've got your you know regular newsletters that are kind of educating the community. And I think that your insights are always very interesting and helpful. So I think that kind of excited to kind of dive into some of those today and, and share those. And for those who aren't uh, following Brooke or subscribing to his, uh, regular information through the FMTC blog, highly recommend. So important yeah, call out. I think speaking mm-hmm. of that, what are you kind of seeing as the you know, biggest kind of misnomer around coupon and deal? There's, there's a few of them out there and varying opinions about the topic, but what is kind of your thoughts around the notion of coupon and deal as it relates to the affiliate marketing space?
0: Yeah, great question and probably too much to tackle in any one podcast. Yeah. But I think the short of the long is that customers love deals. Who doesn't? And customers are very much trained to look for deals. Not all customers. You know, you have very much your market segments. Yeah, But by all the studies I've ever seen, the ones who are especially tuned into looking for the deals, the coupons, et cetera, they are the frequent shoppers, the high household income shoppers, the ones that you want to get. And so if you are a merchant, you are... Probably competing with Amazon, you know they get close to half of the dollars in the U.S. for online retail right now. And if you want to woo shoppers away from there, or you know, to, sh- to try your side out uh, for the first time, a coupon or some sort of special offer is—it's practically de rigueur, right? So, anytime you go to a Shopify store, you're very likely to see a little pop-up that says, "Hey, 10% off," for, for, for first customers. Very standard thing. Yeah. Well, the the thought that we have at FMTC is that all merchants should really be doing that. Indeed, that there should be a basket of coupons that they offer. For example, your new customer discount, typically a discount on a very high average order size, uh, higher than you would typically see. Uh, You can also do discounts with companies like Shear ID that we're partnered with that validate if you are a special category, like a first responder or a teacher or a a firefighter, that kind of thing. And uh, if you have this basket, then there might be some other stuff, like certain products are discounted it becomes very attractive to customers and those customers are going to find you on the coupon sites now to sort of grab the bolt by the horn is that the pattern that people are concerned about is that the customers on the the site looking for a deal or sorry they're in the, the, the checkout looking for a deal and then they come back and so the concern is that that's that sort of um been uh, paying a commission for you know an order that would have happened anyway yeah and that's a um a reasonable concern and it's an important thing to sort of talk about but I think that t- what happens too often is in the space, people say, well, that's that's just the pattern. But there's many other patterns that could sort of go along with that. Mm-hmm. For example, um, there was a case study with a software product called Fuse plugged into a, um, a Google Analytics. And when they looked at, so and this is strictly Google Analytics data, right? So it's nothing to do with the affiliate networks tracking. When they were looking at the uh, sort of highest value customers brought, the winner was buy now, pay later. Uh, for new merchants uh, in terms of bringing in new customers and then frequency of purchase and things like that. And then, second uh, was sort of the coupon size and something like that might surprise a lot of people. For sure. But it comports well with like those other surveys that I've sort of mentioned. And I think that was based off of like <clears throat> cart size or
1: LTV or just generally? Do you, I mean, that sounds pretty compelling.
0: Yeah, well, it was pretty compelling. You know, Google Analytics has their anonymous, mysterious, you know, user identity. You know, you're in there, and I'm in there, and everybody listening to this podcast is probably in there. And then they, then they can see if the customer goes to the merchant, and then they can if they're new, and then they they with Google Analytics, the transaction events are recorded. So mm-hmm. this is this the first time a customer's ever had a transaction event? And so, yeah, to your point, I think that that is very compelling, and it's it's not easy. Like, so if you're the merchant, you have to come up with your own strategy. What's my discounting strategy? Yeah. And some retailers are very um, limited strategies, but everybody has something. So for example, yeah. Apple, not considered yeah. a discount brand, will go around Black Friday. You'll see uh cashback offers, you know, buy yeah. buy some stuff, get a hundred dollar gift card. That's you wouldn't think of that as a coupon, but we would consider it within our sort of our wheelhouse, the things that we would offer because it's an offer that makes something, it makes it more attractive for a customer to buy something. And just about every retailer out there does something of that nature. You yeah. know, they have clearance items. They're going to do some fancy gift with purchase, maybe a yeah. cash gift. Yeah. And so our thought is that if customers are looking for those, you want to meet the customers where they are. And where they are is just not always going to be your site. So that same study that I referenced also found that email was the merchant's own email Is certainly in the mix, but like not doing a lot for the generation of new customers, which is no surprise, right? Because they typically get on that email list by buying something. Yeah, yeah, they might they might sign up. So the coupon sites, which come in a lot of different flavors, right? You got your browser extensions. You got the sort of old school uh, listings companies. Huge number of reward sites, some are cash back, some are Mm -hmm. reward. The might not pay later guys are in the mix there. Mm -hmm. The commerce content guys show content sometimes. Mm -hmm. So. The ideal thing, I think, for a merchant would be to say, hey, this is my strategy. I've looked at my metrics very closely. And then this is the kind of strategy that I want to go out and bring to the market. And then when you you do that, there's, frankly, a lot of work involved in it because there's a lot of sites you're working with. And it's hard to get the deals and offers out to all those sites. And that's exactly where FMDC can help. And so we think that the the coupon sites get um, kicked around unfairly, quite frankly. And with that, the reward sites as well. But they yeah. they have been and they remain the backbone of affiliate marketing, and those yeah. are those are profitable customer relationships for yeah. the merchants working with those sites. Yeah. And I would also add on the other other side of things, if you look at how they're like, compensated, the merchants have tremendous amount of control in terms of what the commission rates are, what the commission terms are, et cetera. And then with the advanced technologies that the tracking platforms have now, you can really dial it into pay exactly as you want to. Yeah,
1: we have a similar approach you know a lot of advertiser clients come to us with concerns, questions, hesitation around that group of partner types when you've got influencers exploding, commerce content exploding, a lot of options in the space now. And I think that those concerns, you know, still are here. In some cases they're higher. And I think there's an opportunity to really assess, look at appropriate attribution like you've talked about. And really, you know, measure where those uh, partners come into play. Sometimes it's a little surprising, and right? so I think there's a notion of like checking some of those historical judgments at the door a little bit, and using kind of the data and cohort analysis and the right attribution models to really make better decisioning. And you can price them really precisely. You can reward effectively. And I think there's that's something that I think a lot of people don't always realize that let's leverage these great tools to make better decisions and. It's easy to say that, but it's surprising how many people just maybe are not there yet, no matter how innovative or techie or smart they are. It's just not not there yet. So it's fun to kind of collaborate with people to try to do that,
0: like you alluded to. It's a lot of work. It's a good reason to have a a good agency. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Something else came up that kind of jumped out at me was like, I forget who coined this. Someone talked about how they like to use deals and coupons to the consumer if they're a brand, let's say consumer in this example. And like it's on a pendulum or a spectrum where you might not be offering a coupon initially, but as maybe that buyer becomes less engaged or retained in your ecosystem, you can kind of use levers, various levers, micro levers throughout it. And I think that's where there's a really compelling case that like, these are not going anywhere. They're used constantly. They're requested and demanded and expected by the consumer. So I think it's an interesting, I forget who came up with that framework or pendulum. there's, I'm sure people have talked about it a lot, but I think it's a compelling case to you know, plug in and, and kind of think about what is your strategy? Do you have one that's very um, specific to your brand and your data and your consumer as opposed to just, we don't do
0: X or we always do Y or... You know. Yeah, and just a simple question, you you know, whatever strategy you have, even if it's very modest, does it carry over to affiliate? Because all the time, so FMTC is all by permission, right? So it's the affiliates, the deals that are entered into the affiliate networks. And often we see, because we're, we're constantly going out to the sites and mm-hmm. we test the coupons and things mm-hmm. like that, there's often deals that are on the homepage, on the landing page of the website that's not posted to affiliate. Totally available. Which I think is crazy, because if you had that offer, why would you not get that offer out there? Yeah. For sure. That's a great uh, framework in thinking
1: about like ways people to kind of think through coupon deal, where FMTC fits into the ecosystem. Maybe it would be interesting to hear a little bit more about maybe some of the other aspects of affiliate marketing you've seen. You've seen a ton of change in the last you know 25 years, probably. What are you kind of noticing at a macro trend level, especially you're publishing these learnings regularly, you're reading a ton, you're talking to great practitioners at conferences and on calls daily, like what are some maybe themes that you're seeing in this space out, maybe even outside of coupon and deal that are very interesting to you?
0: Yeah, so Mike McNerney of MarTech Record picked up a few really good ones uh, with panels and fireside chats actually last week uh, in New York. One of them I think is gonna be the seller networks, largely around the Amazon ecosystem. Uh, commerce content, I guess, has has gotten quite a bit of uh, discussion, but it's still growing, which is very exciting. And another is going to be, I think, uh, the margin. Where does the commission payout come from? Are you paying out of a portion of your margin? Or is it sort of considered more like these branding dollars? And then something else that's been on my mind recently that has not been as discussed is affiliate versus programmatic, which we were chatting about earlier. Mm-hmm. So if you run through those, you know, start with the seller networks. Well, actually, sorry, where, where would you like to start? There's, <laughs> there's a lot there. That,
1: that's a juicy uh, that's a list. Uh, let's
0: do, let's go seller networks. Yeah. It just just happened
1: with a great panel out in New York. Let's keep rolling with that.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So for those who are not familiar, seller networks, which are sort of formerly known as shadow networks, are paying out a seller on a marketplace, typically Amazon, but can work on any marketplace. It can pay out a commission directly to the affiliate. And this is really big news because it's kind of like not known in the larger ecosystem, but you have probably hundreds of agencies that specialize in helping sellers on Amazon sell through. Amazon's like an ecosystem unto itself, and here, here to now, or here to recently, you've only been able to stand by as, as the Amazon Associates program pays out whatever commissions it pays out, uh, which are normally pretty healthy, especially because there's the, this halo effect, yeah. where you know somebody goes and buy a pair of scissors and they buy a TV and you get the commission you got volume, on the, on the you got TV. Volume, velocity, you got all kinds you of great factors. All the like high that. conversion rates. And so I think Publisher Expansion a few years ago might have been the first one, and they did this sort of, um, they had an unusual uh, tracking mechanism, uh, and they're still around. But then there was sort of a second generation that came where they would take the agency ID, so the affiliate tracking solution, the seller network, and they were called sort of Shadow Network because it sort of operated in the shadows of the Amazon ecosystem. But then Sounds this, ominous. Yeah, it touches, yeah, because it, it was sort of played in a gray area from what I understand. Yeah. Then with the seller network, they become the advertiser of record or like the advertiser or agency of record for the seller. And what that means is that they can create a link with parameters and they can see the reporting on the back end. So if you're buying like a Facebook campaign or Google campaign or something else, you can see how that performed. Well, you can just, you can do the same thing, give a link to anybody, basically the same as a regular affiliate tracking link. And so it's been a really interesting race with these guys because Refersion made big waves when they announced theirs. But then Refersion had pretty massive layoffs late at the end of last year, and then they were bought by a company called Pantastic, which, from my understanding, shut down their seller network. And so they were sort of like the head of the pack, and then they, poof, went away. The Earlier this year, you had a company called Levanta launch, and those are the principals out of Grovia, which was you know, an agency that got acquired, which specialized, I think, in affiliate outreach. And so these guys announced profitability after six months which is, you know, not bad, especially for, you know, a tech company, which has to do tech uh, investments. And then also uh, in the mix, and forgive me, I'm leaving people out, but Ben has got the publisher expansion, part of AdVon, as, as I understand it. And Forgive me if I'm mangling anything here. And then he launched Fabric X, which has that that next generation sort of tracking solution. And then you've also got one called Archer. There's another one I've spoken with called Costington's. And I think you'll see many more kind of come out because it's kind of a big land grab. You know, the sellers are currently getting a kickback from Amazon, if kickback is the best word, of about 10%. So if you're paying an affiliate 10%, it sort of like washes out from a cost perspective if you're getting the 10% from Amazon. And so there's a very big opportunity for these guys. And I actually just blurred about this this week. It's great for affiliates because they potentially have a different revenue stream, although it looks like they're going to have to choose. They're going to have to choose between the associates program commission and they're going to, or, or the seller network commission. You can double dip. So, like, I think what you currently can do is you can take the associates link and then deep link with um, the seller network link, or sorry, maybe it's the other way around. And that's been considered to kind of be a gray area. But this yeah. came up on the panel is I, th- I think it's basically. Going to be disallowed. That's what it looks like. At that this would make point.
1: sense. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the seller networks are often touting, generally speaking, a higher commission rate than what Amazon Associates has historically charged, like
0: apples to apples. Is that correct? That's my understanding. Amazon's gotten away with pretty low commission rates yeah. compared to competitors in the same category. Yeah, and so one of the principles. Was talking about a commission rate of three to four X on a category in the same category. So it's sort of pretty like, do I give up? Do I get three or four X higher? Going to a specific product page is probably going to convert pretty well, but give up the halo effect. There seems to be a use case for it and it can be a specific link, right? So if you write a listicle, you can go specifically to that seller, maybe a paid placement's negotiated. So I think that that's going to continue to be attractive uh, and going to continue to grow. Except the other thing to note is that. I think they call it Creator Connections. Is that Amazon launched basically a, their own solution? It doesn't seem to have as much traction yet, based on what people I've talked to who are knowledgeable are observing. And that could lead to everybody getting killed, right? <laughs> because yeah. you know it could just be for forbidden, yeah. and they could also get rid of the kickback. So the sort of damocles is, is kind of hanging over those guys' heads as they as they race ahead into what could be a huge, huge land grab.
1: Yeah, I wonder if there's a way, I was debating this with someone, I think on my team and maybe out in New York at the panel, but it seems like there's maybe a way where Amazon benefits from the seller networks. Is there a path there where Amazon sees that value? Because it's always that risk that Amazon shuts down X or...
0: Yeah, they they killed the on-site publisher program earlier this year. Yeah.
1: So I don't know, is that a path that you think that they could thread the needle on where there's mutual value in that case? Or do you think that that's going to end up as Amazon kind of steers the the traffic back to its own owned and operated ecosystem or so, even though they're technically benefiting from these seller networks doing what they're doing in some capacity, right?
0: So it's a great question and your guess is as good as mine, but I have heard rumors that Amazon Associates program... He is um, a bit separate from other stuff inside the Amazon ecosystem
1: yeah. and
0: so there's a possibility of sort of like split incentives inside the company and so collectively and this is actually Jeff Bezos is pretty famous for this it's in the book the everything Sto- store you know he uh pulled off the trick that eBay couldn't where he forced everything onto the same buy page whether it was Amazon operated or um, a third-party seller and that was apparently over great protests of the internal buyers, right? Because if you're the buyer, you don't want to be competing against some random person from outside the company. But he made it happen, and it's been hugely successful for Amazon, which I, I believe has most of its volume from the third-party sellers, and has for many years. I believe so. I believe so. So if you have that split, then you know there could be sort of like turf protection inside the company. But then even without that if you're Amazon and you're getting traffic from off of Amazon and in a sense, you're not paying for it because the kickback is purportedly related to a competitive guard against uh, Shopify, you know, again, rumors and hearsay. So take it with a grain of salt, but it it makes logical sense. So much sense. So they would keep potentially keep that up. And then also it could suck the oxygen out of the room. So, you know, if this stuff really kind of continues to take off, it's a little bit of a threat to the competitors of Amazon and then to the tracking platforms that support them, like, you know, CJ and Rakuten and Impact, but an opportunity for the affiliates and potentially for you as well as an agency, right? Because you guys can start to play this Amazon game and work with all the DTC guys who have the Shopify store and sell on Amazon. Some of them are pretty big.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're doing a lot of uh, collaboration with a number of players like Levanta and others, and we feel like there's just tons of opportunity there just similar to us doing, you know, having a handle on Google and Meta and TikTok, we also need to have some acumen around the uh, Amazon Ad Buying game, which is slightly different but but related. Which I think I don't know. I kind of predict that there that desire to retain those those sellers and those advertisers is really the play for them. And and that I that I feel like not to get too much into conjecture because we don't know, but I would think that. Despite there being some conflict with Amazon Associates, I would think they would be really highly incentivized to maintain the the grip of the uh, ecosystem and want that uh, in my in my limited knowledge speculation. And I think that the Shopify's of the world, even to some extent the TikTok's of the world, are, are clamoring for that and wanting that. I don't know how you feel about that too, but
0: do you feel like <sighs> no, I
1: agree with that prediction or do you think that's a fa-
0: I agree with you. They do need to service the sellers. And, you know, going back to, I think it was around 2015, they made a pretty aggressive push to get a lot more of the, the China-based sellers on board, uh, which, was, yep. which was covered in, um, I think, I think it was 2017. Uh, Brad Stone, the guy who wrote The Everything Store, wrote a, another book called, I think, Amazon Unbound. And he talked about this conflict where the, the buyer is still one of these cheaper Chinese no-name goods. So in a way, it makes the marketplace more valuable. But I think in a way, it also might make Amazon a little bit more vulnerable For example, uh, Xian and Temu, again, out of China Mm -hmm. are making, uh, Xian in particular, I think are making, is making big moves to woo those sellers for its own marketplace. And so there's a little bit of the innovator's dilemma kind of nipping at Amazon's heels, right? Mm -hmm. Because if they want to have the low cost sort of China game, which, you know, a certain customer segment is totally tuned into, then you can sort of service that market. But then like there's a higher end of the brand name stuff, which you also want to service for your buyers. It might be a difficult balancing act. You know, it, there, it, it certainly seems to be on their minds, and so whatever else they're doing, if they can say, "Hey, listen, we'll accommodate you sending traffic to to us that we're not necessarily even paying for." It would seem logical that they would continue to allow that. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, they're pleased. They
1: have a lot of uh, users locked into their psychological habit of one-click shopping and ease and Prime and all the. Yeah, with it.
0: and it's more more searches start on Amazon now than on Google. Correct. I believe so. More shopping for searches. Shopping-based yeah. searches,
1: yeah. It's amazing. That That's an amazing knowledge drop, and I think there's just a lot to watch in that space. You've obviously touched on a number of other trends, so I guess the question of where do we want to go next, we need to take some questions from the audience, even though we don't have a live audience right now. Maybe we should soon for our next show. One of the things we've talked about also is around, you touched on it as part of that kind of hit list of topics, but one was this programmatic industry and kind of where affiliate sits into that. Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, you kind of recently shared that there's quite a lot of fraud, quite a lot of issues in the programmatic space, not to say that it doesn't exist in a lot of different digital channels, but what are your thoughts on that piece that you wrote and kind of some of the discussions we've had around programmatic and fraud and, and maybe with affiliate?
0: This is a drum, I think, that we in the channel really need to be beaten on. I know not everyone thinks of Affiliate as, as a channel, so <laughs> bear with me. Uh, channel of channels—that uh, actually came up with the Martech thing too. So, whatever you—you you know, whatever you call it—the the space that we're in, you know, we're very much, I think, scrutinized and we're very uh, critical and self-critical, which I think is a really good thing about affiliate. And I yeah. would also point out that out of that criticism, there really are a lot of tools that have emerged to give complete control or, or a tremendous degree of control. To the merchants and agencies that manage the merchant programs, and what vexes me sometimes is that if you look at it as sort of like a budgetary game, affiliate kind of gets the short end of the stick. Where I think we have a lot more value to to offer, and so the Association of National Advertisers, and the which I think is U.S. based, they did a study of open web programmatic advertising. It gets a little confusing, right? Because it's not the closed garden stuff, but it's uh, I think they. Rounded up to about $90 billion. And this is like a global number. And they, uh, by 90, their study, 90, or 90 nine zero billion globally on an annual basis. And they found that there were the, there's these things they call made for advertising sites, clickbait, um, AI fits in with, very naturally with that stuff, but it totally predates yeah, AI. Quali- low quality content. Low quality content, which probably doesn't attract a sort of a buyer with any real intention. And they found that they were getting, I think, 20% of the. Um, traffic and about an estimated 15% of the dollars. And so, you know, call that in the 13 sort of billion dollar range. And, and again, it is a little bit apples Apple's oranges because the global number, but affiliate in the U S is, is lower than that, right. On an angle basis, it yeah. might be, you know, it might be right around to like not known, but you know, maybe it's like $12 billion mm-hmm. or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so if we as a channel are, 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 smaller than you know sort of like a fraud of a value for another channel it sounds it that tells me that something is just really mismatched and off balance
1: yeah
0: 100% and agree you know with the, the programmatic stuff you also have all the uh, bot fraud right because it's an impression and half the traffic out there is bots yep and so with affiliate there definitely are concerns in the lead space because people can can sell and traffic and fake leads all day long and there's definitely concerns around the margin stuff uh with the retail stuff space but if you're validating your leads and you can't help but validate your retail sales right because if it's fraud you're, you're going to have like if it's credit card fraud which is actually pretty uncommon you'll, you're going to get charge back those are real sales and those are generally very profitable sales the studies i think over the years it, it typically is the most profitable way to market after your own email list now some things might be more profitable like your own keywords right but that's probably not fair because the volume is whatever it is and that's just, just intention in to find you anyway. Yeah, 100%. So I think that's generally pretty true because, again, the, the merchants control the costs very well and, and the mechanisms mm-hmm. of, and all that. And then there's you just don't get the same exact kind of bidding war that you get with Google Ads that you get with Facebook. And those companies are very good at getting your money from you and mm-hmm. expanding your advertising and stuff like that. And then programmatic is, too. So to me, it seems like a very big challenge that we have. And this is one that FTC aims to help solve is making it easier to deploy dollars and get positive returns in the affiliate space. You know, it's really easy to work with one affiliate, three, five affiliates. When you start to get to the point where you're working with even just dozens, you really need that technical infrastructure to be in place. And it clearly is for tracking purposes, but it's a little bit trickier for the content distribution purposes because, you know, first the content is is bad, mm-hmm. you know. So we deal with the deal feeds, we deal with the product feeds. You have to clean that stuff up. There's no way or, there's no mm-hmm. way around it. Mm-hmm. So you might say, well, why don't the networks do the cleanup? And it's a little bit tricky because if they did it for one merchant, they'd have to probably do it for all of them. Mm-hmm. And then they're also getting paid by the by the merchants. So it's yeah. a little bit of a political challenge for them. So yep. FMDC has a very natural spot that we fit in there. And our thought is that we should make it very easy for the merchants through the networks to get those those tracking links out there to the point of display on the publisher properties, be it, you know, an app yeah. or, or website or whatever. Uh, So that you can access with new content, like a deal, for example, or a coupon that's expiring soon, you can get out to hundreds and even thousands of partners in a very timely manner. And then you'll pay out accordingly, which, again, will probably be very positive ROI for you. And you can feel a lot more comfortable shifting your investment dollars from very dubious programmatic spends to um, long-term, profitable, defensible, because you have a relationship, affiliate spends. I love that thought of defensible because I've talked a lot about how
1: affiliate is most misunderstood, most underrated, and in some ways it can have an even better moat than and more defensible oh, yeah. than a lot of other channels. If if Google wants to shut you down or if Meta wants to shut you down, granted it's often unlikely for most brands, but they can and they will. Whereas with affiliate, you have you know, dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of relationships. Some very close personal relationships. Some more disconnected. But that's a, by nature, a more diversified, defensible position to be in than having all your eggs in one basket that can be shut off by an
0: API. Absolutely, you can reach places you couldn't reach otherwise. And you know, for some for some kinds of merchants, you can also advertise where you can't advertise on Google. So you know, Google doesn't do gun kind of advertisements. And mm-hmm. uh, this publisher site called I think it's PP Tactical, and you yep. know it's all affiliate programs that they make yeah. their revenue off
1: of. It makes a lot of sense, niche communities, and um, it makes sense. The other thing that kind of came up when you were sharing that was kind of like the in-house team method and how affiliate is not really a channel, but more of a channel of channels or a lever. And in a lot of ways, it it behaves multi-channel. You can access Google, Meta, TikTok. You can. It's more of a methodology almost. I'm wondering if there's a world where, you know, the affiliate manager in-house at a big brand can be a little bit more. um, I'm guessing, I'm speculating that if affiliate was looked through from a different lens internally, and we, we need to kind of educate and talk to people about that, it might get better outcomes. It's not to say that affiliate account managers internally or affiliate experts at a brand are not savvy and smart and have connections and know what levers to pull. But my hypothesis is that, you know, the VP of marketing, the CMO, the head of growth can kind of uh, ride shotgun with that affiliate account manager and maybe think of it more of, okay, we we need to pay for outcomes. We need it to be multi-channel. We want to, we can even weave stories with this lever that's called affiliate or influencer marketing. Do you have any comment on that or any thought? I'm kind of going off on a little bit of a soapbox here, but I feel like there's an opportunity to kind of pair the two more and and have it less live in a silo because it's so multi-channel and it's because tech and all these great tools are kind of letting this happen more so than they they did before. I don't know if you have any comment on that or or thought, but it feels like an opportunity for the industry.
0: Yeah, that's been Affiliate's uh, long slog. And if you listen to somebody like, Todd Crawford, yeah. you know, the, um, formerly of CJ and co-founder of impact,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, they always talk about getting more budget and being in the suite with the CMO. And I think it's really true because, and then that goes to the back to the resource thing too. You know, the investment is not just like, Oh, you know, we'll spend a million dollars over here instead of over there. It's like, you know, we'll, we'll spend a million dollars on programmers, uh, to do the technical implementations that are necessary. And I think that the, um, the channel has to prove itself more than other channels do, which is a little bit mysterious it's a little bit odd frankly uh, and it even seems irrational to me but for whatever reason that does seem to be the case and maybe it's just because it's more work yeah. it, it takes more time to understand takes more time to manage those relationships but for that again you know you've got a lot of spaces you're not going to get to otherwise and you'll also receive feedback and you'll enable collaborations that you can't do otherwise that's why I feel you think affiliate has such this um really natural blend with the influencer stuff it's kind of funny because influencers big bigger already, right? I can't you know, affiliate was around more than 10 years longer. And then influencer came along, blew up bigger than affiliate. I think that was probably like last year or the year before. And then there was a study that went around predicting $100 billion in influencer global income, I think by Sounds 2030 right. or something. Wow. Yeah. So massively bigger than the affiliate uh, projections. And, but the challenge is like, you know, it's very easy to flush your money down the toilet with the influencer stuff, because they want this paid placement pseudo celebrity. No, no, totally. And then also, you know, they might be, they might be gone next year. Um, my wife sees this with her business. She buys like a, she had a really good run with podcast ads and then a lot of these podcast ads started going with agencies and then it makes things worse because she loses the relationship. The ads are read more poorly, the prices go up. And then that tips the ROI in the negative direction. She has to stop advertising with them.
1: I think you hit something so powerful. There's that, and something that I've always loved about Affiliate is that when you're setting up a deal, you're negotiating, there's a, there's a relationship. Yes, you're looking at the data as well, but there's a feedback loop there. And there's so much kind of goodness that comes back to the brand around, especially for you know your top 10 partners. They're going to be highly incentivized to give you essentially coaching at times to be like, how do we optimize this? I found this to work really well. Not to say that you don't have some of those chops internally, but nine times out of ten, that feedback loop yields value and revenue if you're listening and you're using it properly.
0: Absolutely, and it's especially uh, potentially critical for for small brands, right? Uh, you can really work with people. and And David Givano, the CEO of Impact, he had a podcast a while ago with an influencer, and they were talking about you know, paid placements. And she's like, mm-hmm. "Look, you know, we have to charge paid placement because we allow the brands to repurpose our content." For their purposes, and you all—it's it's sort of different, but you see the same thing with like um, companies sites like Wirecutter, where, where they do the the product reviews, and they'll license out those product reviews back to the manufacturers. So it's like this um, sort of like ancillary value that gets created mm-hmm. and then get, get gets harvested and has to yeah. be paid for one way or another. But everybody involved in that value chain is is winning, and so I think affiliate pairs well with that. It's kind of funny. It's like the dog chasing the bus now. Because you know we have the tracking stuff in place, the networks have the merchant relationships in place, which the influencers networks can do struggle with more. Like you know they get the influencers, but then the the anchor really is with the merchants, which I think explains all the collaborations between the affiliate networks and these influencer networks and a couple of the acquisitions too. Absolutely, um, like you know Creator IQ, I think was a, I think Awin and um, CJ, I believe, double check that. But it, there's a lot of relationships like that, and so I think it's really good because you can do. Like the hybrid deals, and again, that requires more more time. You got to be coordinating with people. But if you figure out the template, then that can can scale pretty pretty reasonably well. You can get like the links out to those creators, yeah, and then yeah. really do some some neat campaigns that reach a very large audience. Yeah, it's it's
1: pretty. It's I think become pretty powerful. And there was an article on social proof. I'm going to kind of the topic for the next newsletter that I'm excited to dive into. That I think it feeds into what you just shared. It's like right, people want to hear from you know, other friends, family, influencers about their experience with other brands. It's just inherently psychologically compelling. Whereas, you know, the brand speaking to you has lost its luster that it had 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I think brands can still do that, of course, but you need to do it very... It's harder to rise above the noise. And I think it's just that social proof is something we're all kind of seeking right now um, in the brand and marketing space. This has been some amazing knowledge drops. I'd love to hear... Maybe as we wind down here, um, just talking a little bit more about, you know, where you see the vision for FMTC, what big things you have in mind. I know you've kind of explored a, a number of partnerships. You're building some awesome things. Um, maybe give us a sneak peek of what's ahead. Maybe share what you're building towards um, without divulging anything confidential, but we'd love to hear more.
0: Yeah, thank you. The uh, I think FMTC's big vision is to participate in, in affiliate as affiliate continues to expand. And the vision for an affiliate is very exciting. You basically have anything that's a commercially relevant link could typically be an affiliate link. And in the past, I think that a lot of publishers have been afraid to monetize those links. So for example, there was, I think it was like 10 or 12 years ago now, yeah. there was a big kerfuffle with Pinterest and Skim Links. Yeah. And it's interesting because Pinterest just engaged in a similar partnership, not quite the exact same, but similar with Amazon, where stuff goes to Amazon and you can buy it. And to me, that's the most natural partnership in the world. And the natural concern there would be, you know, editorial versus advertising. But those two can be parsed. You know, they can be separate teams. Advertising can kind of come along later. The advertising can be automated. Mm -hmm. And you have some huge, huge, huge volume out there of links that are not monetized but could be monetized. It would really support any number of publishers that have, you know, a freemium uh, access, right? So you can just see the whole site for free. Or it's like some kind of software tool that you're you know, sort of a free user of. So the the opportunity for brands, or the, you know, the, these advertisers to reach new audiences and all sorts of niches uh, on the internet is is incredible. And FMDC hopes to help participate in that by having the merchants' index at the ready. So if you're the publisher, you would know who you can work with. We provide you with your own link. We also have a, a sub affiliate network that's owned by FMTC called FreshReach. So if you don't, if you're not integrated with a particular tracking platform, we can provide you a ready access link because you know the, it naturally evolves toward those those key partnerships. There's sort of like a long tail, right? Yeah. And so if you're the publisher, you can take advantage of, of the full monetization opportunities. You can display all the relevant content that should um, be there. So for us, obviously, it would be deal content, mm-hmm. also the product contents and who knows what else there might be in the future. Yep. So we can index that all, we can provide it all. The publishers can call that on an API basis, and then really enhance the value of to their users with, with these convenience features and optimize their own operations for generating revenue.
1: I love that. What that just reminded me of is, I can't recall if it was Connie Chen of uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, she's very strong on APAC and mobile, if I recall correctly. but. She talked a lot about micropayments and how that's very large in Asia. And we think you kind of touched on like gated content and paywalls and how that's such a terrible experience, as is seeing a ton of irrelevant ads as privacy and cookie deprecation have come so important. And I feel like there's an opportunity where affiliate as a mechanism, if you will, or channel channels can play a a part there and kind of bringing about a better monetizable user experience for people across the entire web. I mean, it just seems like there's so much more to be done there to kind of make those paywalls and those friction points and the, the user experience that's kind of clunky and, and friction improve and, and get even better. So I think that'd be exciting place to take the industry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's even becoming a sem- some bit of a center of gravity. You know, the wall street journals celebrated the one year anniversary earlier this summer of their buy side, I think they're sort of a more conservative entity in terms of their operations. So it might be just too much for a lot of these publishers to resist. And then you just got to manage all the, all the data and information. Yeah.
1: I mean, you got a brand right there with, that's collecting massive amounts of money and subscription volume. And then they turn to that as another monetization arm. It's, it's pretty good validation for the affiliate industry, as you said. Very cool. I guess, uh, what else? I, I know you got um, the farm uh, thriving in, in Texas. Any any comments or updates for the yeah, audience? We, we got
0: the bees. We got the goats. The chickens are laying again. We went through a, a bit of a dearth there. I don't think the heat helped. Yeah. And uh, we're nearly done Some with our home eggs. innovations.
1: Well, congratulations. And
0: the boys are learning to swim.
1: Oh, that's music to my ears. Love to see it. Yes. Tell your <laughs> wife. <laughs> I'll let her know. I'll let her know if they need a refresher. Well, former. Uh, bring her over. A water polo player, right? That's right. Yeah, nice. That's right. Yeah. She likes to tell that when parents are a little hesitant to bring their kids, little little ones to her to learn how to swim. So.
0: No, it's crucial. Crucial service. Right? Absolutely. Good for their safety.
1: Absolutely. Well, so appreciate you having the chat and being on the, on the conversation here live in Austin at the. The Capital Factory where they're so gracious to set us up in their in their green room. Thanks, Brooke. Thank you. Come by anytime. Appreciate it. Great to see you. Bye everyone.